Mark chapter 11 today. Mark chapter 11, we're going to look at two sections of verses in here. You see in verse number 12, the Lord Jesus, speaking of the Lord Jesus, this is on the morrow, there come from Bethany, he was hungry. Does that strike you? God was hungry. See, God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. But he was a man. He got hungry. Jesus knew what it was to be hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. The time of figs was not yet. Jesus answered and said unto it, the fig tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. That's a good detail. His disciples heard it. Now look at verse, uh, verses 20 through 22. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. That's the title of the message. Have faith in God. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today as we endeavor to know you and understand things. I pray that you'd open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. For whatever reason, the Lord has laid heavily on my heart this idea of, of faith, this, this subject of faith. If you were here Wednesday night, it was a message on faith. Allison, uh, after the service, said, Boy, Dad, that was a lot of information. And... Um, so we're going to continue along that, that thought, of course, this morning, have faith in God. Then this evening, we're going to look again at the book of Ezra, which was written to do what? Restore faith in God's people. So we'll look at that tonight. But in Mark chapter 11, the words of Christ are recorded in our text, and he makes that statement, have faith in God. Now, if, uh, maybe as a primer, if you were interested, you might go back to Wednesday night's service and look that up, and, and it's stored somewhere on the, in, the, in the Ethernet of the unknown. Somewhere it's recorded. I don't understand all of that, but it's somewhere. And you can find it in Wednesday night's service. It might be a primer for this service, but um, why... Can we have faith in God? Why can we have this thing we call faith in God? Well, um, first of all, maybe let me start off by, by saying that faith is a person, not, not something. It's, um, 
It's in a person. It's not in, in something else. We can have faith in God because He did not fail men in the past. And I don't think we can get away from Hebrews chapter 11. If we're going to talk about faith, we've got to go back to this. And we'll come back to Mark chapter 11 and make our way back around to that in, in just a few minutes. But have faith in God because He did not fail men in the past. Hebrews 11, somebody has labeled it the hall of faith. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, but the word faith occurs 27 times in this book of the Bible. The word faith is used in connection with uh, to uh, 17 different individuals that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And so this point is we can have faith in God because he did not fail men in the past. So let's look at some of those. Uh, let's see. Uh, in Abel, uh, we see a faith that, it, that worshipped, right? By faith Abel offered unto uh, God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead yet speaketh. So in Abel we see a faith that worshipped. We talked about some of these on Wednesday night. We're going to talk about more of them, to, uh, of them right now. In Enoch we see a faith that walked. Verse number 5, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. If you go to look at uh, Enoch back in the book of Genesis, uh, I think it's uh, chapter uh, 5, you would see that Enoch had this testimony that he walked with God, right? So we in Enoch we see a faith that walked. In Noah we see a faith that worked and witnessed by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world, became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So on Noah we see faith that worked and witnessed. Wednesday night I said Noah didn't know what an ark was, Noah didn't know what rain was, but Noah knew who God was. And uh, so we see a faith that worked and witnessed. In Abraham we see a faith that wandered. Verses 8 through 10 is, uh, is what we'll read there. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should go after, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. <clears throat> By faith he sojourned in the land of, of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham didn't know what he was going. He didn't even necessarily... Uh, didn't know exactly what he was looking for, but he knew God. And so we, in Abraham, we see a faith that wandered. In Sarah, Sarah, we see a faith that waited. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Well, who promised her? It was God. So Sarah, we see a faith that waited. In Jacob, we see a faith that didn't wobble. I had to pick a word that started with a W. But verse 21 we see Jacob had a faith that didn't wobble. In uh, verse uh, 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped. Here it is, leaning upon the top of his staff. See, he had a faith that didn't wobble because he was leaning on the top of his staff. You make the connection there? So he had a faith that didn't wobble. Uh, in uh, Joseph, we see, we see a faith that weathered. Verse number 20, uh, let's see, 20... Uh, let's see, 20... By faith Joseph, 22. By faith Joseph, when he died made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, gave commandment concerning his bones, right? Uh, faith that weathered. Joseph's faith saw beyond the captivity. He said, uh, when, when we get out of this captivity, carry my bones with you. So he had a faith that weathered the time, that went beyond uh, what he could see. He saw beyond the captivity. 
In Moses, we see a faith that worked, verses 28 through 30. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest the, he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. So there we see Moses had a faith that worked. In Rahab, we see a faith that wagered. Now, I don't know if that's the best way to, uh, to, to present that or not, but uh, you know, wagering not being the uh, probably most... Uh, the best thing that a Christian ought to do. But anyway, in Rahab, we see a faith that wagered. She put her money on God. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies uh, with peace. So she didn't follow. She, she, looked at the, she looked at the odds, right? She had heard. She looked at the odds and she put her money on God, which is, if you're going to wager, that's probably the best way to do it, all right? Put your money on the Lord. And in Rahab, we see a faith that wagered. You can laugh. It'd make me feel a lot better if you did. Verse 32, it mentions six more. Uh, in Gideon, we see the success of faith. In, in Barak, Barak, or however you want to pronounce it, we see the song of faith. Uh, we find that in Judges chapter 5, after the, the delivery from Jabin, the Canaanites, and Sisera of the Hazerites. In Samson, we see the strength of faith. In Jephthah, we see the sticking of faith. That's Judges 11. That's one of the hardest passages of scriptures for, uh, for, for God's people to really see and understanding, uh, understand what Jephthah did in making his vow and sticking to it. Do you remember what he said if, when he come back from war, the first thing that came out the door, that he'd sacrifice it unto the Lord? And who came out the door but his daughter? His daughter. And by faith... By faith, he, he made a vow. I don't know if he made a vow by faith, but by faith, he stuck to it. And uh, that's a tough story. I, I've had somebody tell me that they skip over that chapter because they just can't handle that <laughs> and believe that God would, uh, would uh, do such a thing. But uh, it is what it is, and it's there. And I think we have, to, have to, to, to study that out and acknowledge it and realize it says what it says in the story of Jephthah. In David, we see the supplications of faith, the, the Psalms. We're talking about these verse, in, in verse 32. In Samuel, we see the singleness of faith. All these through flood and fire, stones and swords, destruction and death, torture and torment, God delivered his people. It's a joy for us to consider the, the faith of Elijah that was able to call down both an, infer, an infernal and a deluge. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a joy to consider the faith of Daniel who chose the den of lions over a demagogue. Scores of men and women who by faith faced every conceivable torment while singing and smiling as they passed from time into eternity. God didn't save them from hardship and trial, but he enabled them by faith to endure tribulation courageously and to emerge victorious. And you might ask, well, why, why should I have faith in God? Well, we can have faith in God because he did not fail men in the past. The same God is available to us today. We place our faith in Him. Number two, have faith in God because He'll not fail us now. Go back to Mark chapter 11, if you will, please. And again, we're going to read verses 22 through 24. Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And so we see Christ's continued response to Peter's 
uh, calling attention to what had happened to the fig tree. Jesus started by saying, have faith in God, and he expands upon that in these verses, in verses 22 through 24. When we plant our faith in God, and I think that's the key. Um, it's, it's a key that I think is important that we understand that we are all going to place our faith in something or someone. When I say that, there, I'll go back to what I've mentioned before about we believe what we believe basically based on three things. We either believe it because somebody else told us. And I would say the majority of what we believe, we believe because somebody else told us. I'm just saying commonly speaking, we believe it because somebody else told us. We believe. Um, we've, we weren't the ones who did the scientific experiments. Um, uh, we were not the ones who made the observations. We were not the ones that came, uh, uh, drew the conclusions. Uh, but yet we're, we're taught those things in school, right? And so we believe what we believe. Many, much of what we believe, we believe because somebody else told us. And uh, they uh, provided the evidence there for us to believe that. And I, I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with believing what somebody tells you. Uh, I, I think it's certainly not, not wrong to believe what somebody else tells you. But that cannot be the basis for, for absolute truth. Did you know that? You cannot base absolute truth on what somebody else has said. Um, let's, let's apply that to the Scriptures. Do we have the witness of the apostles? Do we have the witness of people in the Word of God uh, that Jesus is the Christ? Yeah, absolutely we do. Is there anything wrong with, with them telling us that Jesus is the Messiah, the satisfaction of the wrath of God, the propitiation for our sins, the God-man, Jesus Christ, that God became a man? When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son to be the propitiation of the world, to satisfy His wrath. Uh, we have the witness, don't we, of the apostles. We have the witness of, of folks in the Bible that, uh, that God is, uh, that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, that Christ is uh, who the Word of God says it is. We have that witness, but you know, we don't believe what we believe because of the witness of the apostles. you know that? We don't believe what, now, now stay with me. You'll, you'll get, if you'll follow me, you'll get to where I'm going. We don't believe what we believe because of what somebody else told us. And what the apostles told us by their witness was something they, they, they said inspired of God. Don't get me wrong, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. But we don't believe what we believe because of the witness of the apostles. I'm glad we have it. It provides something for us to look at and say, yeah, okay. That's evidence. That's, that's substance there. That's something that I can look to and point to and say, well, the evidence is there. But it's not why we believe, because somebody else told us. Because that, trusting what somebody else has told you cannot be trusted as, abs, as absolute truth. Are men fallible? Have scientists ever been wrong? Yes. They have been wrong. Man has been wrong. Man has been wrong. And so we have to be careful that what we, be, what we believe is not based on what somebody else told us. Another reason we might believe what we believe is because of uh, a personal experience. We might have experienced something. Now, there's a lot of that. You know, there, there, there's a lot of that involved in science and uh, scientific theories. And, 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 but when they're played out, 
Uh, when more is discovered, when somebody else looks at the same thing and does the same experience, they introduce a new variable or, or they recognize that a variable was introduced, that, that the experience, something didn't happen because this happened. You know, uh, uh, people uh, used to believe a lot of strange things. I, was t- I talked about one of them before the church service. There's a spider crossing, crawling across the floor in the foyer, and I, I stepped on it. And, I, and Mr. Kunoff was sitting there, and I said, oh, it's going to rain now. And, and I said, did you ever hear that? And I, I can't remember if you'd heard that or not. He, uh, but I said, my grandmother used to believe that. that if you stepped on a spider, it, was gonna, it may, would make it rain. Well, where does that come from? That's an old, what, what would you call that, a wives' tale maybe? Because somebody along the line stepped on a spider and it started raining, so they believed. But, well, I stepped on a spider and it rained. I believe it rains because I step on spiders. Well, somebody stepped on a spider somewhere. You see, that's experiential. And, and so you can see very quickly, when I, especially when I use that illustration, um, you cannot base absolute truth on experience because experience changes from individual to individual. It changes from moment to moment. And, and, and we, if, you know, if we trust our experience, we're going to be all over the place. We're not going to find stability in anything because, you know, well, I did this and it made me happy, but now I do this and that doesn't make me happy anymore, right? So it always changes. So absolute truth cannot be based on what somebody else tells us or what, what we personally, even personally experience. But then there's a third thing. We believe what we believe because the Word of God says it. And, and that's it. I want to get back to, to something about that in, in just a minute. But, um, but uh, God, uh, we can have faith in God because of what He has said in His, in His Word. And I'm trying to get back to where I, where I started with that whole thought. But when, when we plan, oh, I, it's about planting your faith. A lot of people will say they make a big deal about the mustard seed of faith, right? I, I, and again, I'm not criticizing this. Please don't misunderstand. If you have what I'm about to describe, one of these things, I am not criticizing it, and I'm not criticizing you. But some people will have a, a little vial, and inside that vial they'll have a mustard seed. And they, where I've seen it is in, on a necklace. And it's a reminder to them to have faith. And I, and I understand the intent there. But you know, sometimes we get this wrong idea about the teaching of the mustard seed. And it being the smallest of all, tree, of all seeds and how it grows into this plant in which all the birds of the air lodge in and, and, and so forth. And, and a lot of emphasis is placed on all you need is just a little bit of faith. Just need that mustard seed of faith. And, and we, I think sometimes we get this idea, as long as I can carry around that little mustard, size, <clears throat> mustard seed size of faith, I'm good to go. That's all I need. I don't need any more than that. But you know the emphasis is not there. The emphasis is on where you plant that seed. And that's what I was getting at. You, if you're going to plant that seed in what others told you, it's, it's not going to grow like it should. It's going to... It's, you're going to come to a point where somebody's going to tell you something that, that's, that changes or was not true or that you figure out was not true, right? Like a little kid believes that there's a Santa Claus. I got in trouble one time for saying, mentioning Santa Claus in the pulpit. There's a 10-year-old boy sitting in the back, and I, told, I said something along the lines of, you know, um, Santa Claus isn't real. I, I, I can't remember what it was, but I remember seeing this 10-year-old boy's 
Andy was his name in the back row, not Andy Cox. But as I you know, got real big and I realized as I'm in the pulpit, I just revealed to a 10-year-old that Santa Claus wasn't real. But, you know, it's like planning their faith in what mom and dad told them that Santa Claus was real. Well, sometime, at some point, they're going to come along and realize, hey, Santa Claus isn't real. And sometimes we got these Santa Claus-like ideas because somebody else told us, and we take that mustard seed of our faith and we plant it in what other people have told us only to be disenfranchised. I don't know if that's the right word to use or not. Later on, realizing that what they said wasn't true, and instead of blaming them for being wrong, we blame God. That's how it usually works, doesn't it? You can't place that mustard seed of, of faith that God gives to you. You can't plant that in life experience for the same reason because those experiences vary from person to person. So uh, we plant our faith in God. And when we plant our faith in God, it is God that moves mountains. Praying by faith means our trust and confidence is in God. And we're taking God at His word. And by, by the way, it's impossible to please Him without taking Him at His word. It means that we stop trusting ourselves and we stop leaning to our own understanding and it means total reliance upon God. Faith releases us from our limited resources to God's unlimited power and ability. Now, the world says, I've got to see it to believe it, but God's word says we've got to believe it to see it. Remember Psalm 27, 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Our faith is only as good as, as who or what we are trusting, and our faith is to be in God and His Word. And so Jesus gives a simple instruction in Mark eleven twenty two: have faith in God. God's not bound by time, space, or matter. He is infinite. When all the temporary is wiped away and we stand before God, nothing outside of what we did by faith will have any significance whatsoever. And somebody might ask, well, what about in the hard times? God's Word tells us, there's going to be times of sorrow, trial, and hardship. John 16, these things have I spoken unto you, Jesus said, that in me ye might have peace, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Our faith might be strained. I can almost guarantee your faith will be strained. But it's also strengthened if we faint not. Think about what James said in James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Also thought about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because of faith, we experience the love, peace, and joy of Jesus Christ despite our circumstances. Now, let me add here what, something I said on Wednesday night that I believe is, is a, a very important truth about this. If we have to see God or His Word work, we're not living by faith. If we have to see God or see God's Word work, we're not living by faith. For we walk by faith, not by what? You don't walk by sight. 
If we have to see God or see God work, then we're not walking by faith. We're walking by sight. I gave the illustration of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, a.k.a. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Jewish names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I like to do them service by remembering them for their Jewish names, not their Babylonian names. I don't think I'm any more spiritual because that's just because I'm weird. But they had faith that God was able to deliver them from the burning fiery furnace, did they not? But you know, in their explanation to the king, they included a, a loophole, a holy, but if not, that regardless of the outcome, they would not serve the king's, the king's gods nor worship the golden image which he had set up. They said, but if not. We, it said, O king, we, we understand the decree that you gave and, and, and we understand the consequence we're facing. You go ahead and do whatever you got to do, but we believe that God is going to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, but if not. You see, they didn't need to see God do it. They still had faith in God. After I went home, don't, isn't that always the way it works when you walk away from the conversation? Oh, I should have mentioned this. I thought about Job. Here, here Job's wife is. I want you to, I think poor Job's wife gets a bad rap sometimes. Poor lady. But you realize that Job's wife lost everything she had too. She lost her children. She lost everything. It wasn't just Job. And now she's standing there in, in her poverty, in her sorrow, her grief, and she's looking at her husband, literally scraping his, his boils with a potsherd. That's a, something described in the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a ceramic uh, piece of pottery. And he's sitting there just trying to get relief from scraping himself. Now, I want you to put yourself in this poor lady's shoes. Again, I think she gets a bad rap sometimes of what she said to him. But, but essentially, she questions her husband and says, why do you retain your integrity? Why don't you just get it over with, Job? You're miserable. And, and I, I have a, a little bit, I think, after thinking about this some, for some time, I have a little bit different perspective on, on what this part, the humanity that's involved here, and I don't think it's, it's all bitterness. There might have been some bitterness there, but she's looking at the suffering of the one that, uh, that, that, that she had left, her husband, and she's just saying to him, why, why don't you just curse God and get it over with, Job? She, she's handing him the loaded weapon. She's thinking in her, in her humanity, she's thinking this is the most merciful thing that could be done. The poor guy, let him die. If you've ever been around somebody who's been lingering with disease like cancer, you might you know, kind of catch a, a glimpse of that, a feeling of that. Do you remember what Job said? We're talking about a faith that doesn't need to see God's word or God's word work. Job replied, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? Several chapters later, he's recorded as saying this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. 
see, that's the holy, but if not, faith. Have faith in God because he'll not fail us now. Lastly, have faith in God because he'll not fail us in the future. Most of the things that we worry about never happen. You know that? My mother, I've told you this before, was an expert worrier. My mother died of cancer about five years ago. We noticed something about mom. I don't know. I, there was, there's definitely a shift in her, um, her demeanor. But at some point, I really believe my mother learned to have faith in God. She defeated, I don't know, is that the right way to say you defeated cancer on the first round? Thought they got everything, and I mean, by all indications, they had. And uh, I was visiting a surprise visit right before Christmas of uh, 2013, I would say, 2014. And during that trip, my mother's having. We had some things planned and she wasn't able to go because her stomach was bothering her. Well, not long after I returned home, she had a doctor's appointment and they found out the cancer was back. And it was a real battle for my mom at that point. Really, you know, worrying about things and trying to figure things out. But then it just, it was really a, a, a quite a, quite a, change in her demeanor and her attitude all of a sudden she just really seemed to be at peace with things and just came to the conclusion it was it was almost like one of those holy but if nots and she I think she resolved in her heart that you know we're just going to put this in the Lord's hands and she did um, she decided there were there wasn't going to be any more what in medical terms would be called heroics we're not going to do these extreme things. We're going to, we're going to do what seems logical, what, what's, what's going to give the best quality of life, not necessarily quantity of life. And my mother is really at peace with this. I don't know that everybody in the rest of the family was at peace with it, but my mom was. After she passed away, I've told you about the three-ring, little tiny three-ring binder full of note cards that she had and scripture verses, and they, there was tabs and if she was dealing with fear or anxiety, she had these verses about fear and anxiety that she'd go to. And later on, uh, we received a video from somebody that did a video about her testimony. And uh, she said in that testimony that, you know, after a while of going through these three-by-five cards, I memorized them so I didn't need my little binder anymore. I just memorized the scripture. And that's what would help to have, give her that faith that, that she had. She didn't need to see God work to believe that, that he was that he was a rewarder of them that diligently sought him. She had that. Most of the things we worry about in life never happen. I've, I've told other people that deal with anxiety and fear and things like that. Um, I've said, you know what? You're in a perfect spot 
to, to really be helped with this because you're already a, an expert warrior. Are any of you expert warriors? Can you think about all the problems that could ha possibly happen in any given situation? Yeah, I'm good like that. You know, that's, that's what meditation is. Meditation is just thinking about something from all different directions. What does the Word of God say about meditation? This book of the law shall not depart out of their mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make their way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. So thinking about things isn't the problem. Thinking about things from all different angles isn't the problem. The problem is what you're thinking about. So if you want to change what you're feeling, God, change what you're thinking. The truth is most of the things we worry about never happen. We anticipate trouble. We cross bridges before we get to them. We lose sleep over things which will likely never come to pass. We have become chronic worriers. Worrying has become a habit, our habit. Somebody said, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. But I'm telling you, don't worry about the future. Because God has been faithful in the past. God is faithful now. He's not going to fail us now. He's not going to fail us in the future. You don't need to see God work. You don't need to see God's Word work. He will not fail. Have a holy but if not in your vocabulary. Have faith in God. You might be listening, watching, or here today. You might be a worrier. You might be worried about where you're going to spend eternity. You know what I find interesting? Most people worry about where they're going to spend the weekend more than they worry about where they're going to spend eternity. But God has the answer for that. If you're worried about where you're going to spend eternity, if you contemplate those things and you don't know for sure that when you step out of time into eternity, that you'll be with God. God has the answer for that. And by faith, you can know. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you're watching or listening or in the building today and you have questions about that, you're concerned, you're worried about where you're going to spend eternity, please let me know. Please make contact with me. Please, please come see me. Please call me. Please touch base with me, and I can show you from God's Word what the answer is for that worry. Have faith in God. Most of you, I would imagine, that at least are in the building, and the ones I know are listening, perhaps you have eternity settled, but, but you worry about tomorrow. And do you know that God has the answer for that as well about tomorrow? He does. You ought to mark this down. Go there now. Let's look at the answer for worrying about tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse number 25, and, and then we'll close. We'll give an invitation. I invite you to have faith in God. I want to read this with you. I'll read out loud. You can read to yourself quietly, silently. Matthew 6, verse 25, For those of you who are worried about tomorrow, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor Yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. 
are you not much better than they? Next time you're at McDonald's and you're sitting out outside and you see those little sparrows eating those French fries, think about that. I always think, I know I'm weird, but I think about that. I say, look, oh, look at that. There's God's word in action. They got plenty to eat. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? I think it's it's interesting that God chose that unit of measurement. You know why? Because you can add. Did you know you can add add to your stature? But not one cubit, right? That's what eighteen to twenty-one inches, according to the measure of man. I, I know. So he said that you can't do it. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil, uh, toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. The morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So, so maybe if you have eternity settled, that you worry about tomorrow, remember that. God said, don't be, don't be ruled by fear. Fear is a terrible master. But don't get me wrong, fear is a good motivator. But it's a terrible master. There's a difference. Fear's a good motivator, but but boy, is is it a mean, tyrannical master. You know, I, I run across a lot of people in this world that are that that they just are gripped by fear. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Let your peace and your joy be in the fact that you know Him. That maybe even just a little bit you understand Him, even if it just is a little bit. And if you want to understand God more, He's, he's given us a complete revelation of Himself in His Word. God help us, I give you that invitation to have faith in God. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't know how the Lord may have spoken to your heart. I, I don't know where you struggle. I don't know what you're concerned about today. If it's about, about eternity, I invite you to come and, and get the answer for that. Realize that God became a man without ever ceasing to be God and in that man's body, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again. He paid the payment for our sin so that we might have righteousness. Christ is the life and righteousness we're missing from earth. There's so much more to, to understand about that. It's, it's not difficult. I don't want to oversimplify it. I, I, want, I want you to understand. And I'm not going to offer you some, just lead you through some prayer. Because there has to be an understanding that's opened regarding God and faith in God and so forth. But, but if you are concerned about eternity, please don't wait another day. Have faith in God. Trust Him. Trust Him and, and seek the answers so that you can be saved. You're here today. You have some other lack of faith, maybe just 
desiring that God would help you to understand faith more, understand what it is. However the Lord may have spoken in your heart, just spend time with Him. Let Him have His way.